Welcome to our Saturday simulcast presented by the Union Club Hotel, Boiler Up Bar, 811 Bistro, uh, joined by Mike Carmen and uh, Brian Newbert. Uh, uh, Brian's still making his way home from Minneapolis after Purdue's uh, 61 to 39 victory in, in the barn. I'll start with you, Brian, just in terms of uh, uh, you certainly documented a, a, it was an impressive performance, certainly an impressive defensive performance as well. But this is a, uh, did we see uh, a a troubled Minnesota team or really just a methodical surgical performance by Purdue? What, what do you think a, a day later? Well, I think that you saw a combination thereof. I think, you know, you saw Minnesota in a, in a compromised position. They're obviously having a rough year. I think they're feeling the pains of a rebuild much more in year two than they did in year one. Yeah. Um, they've got some injuries. Jamison battles banged up. They just lost Braden Carrington for a couple of weeks. But I think that reality also reflects well on just how businesslike Purdue was in taking care of this because, you know, this was sort of like the consummate random Thursday night in the Big Ten. It's a game nobody's got circled on their calendars. It's a, it's a, an opponent nobody's excited to play. Probably it's cold. Um, the environment is less than lively, and uh, Purdue just left no doubt. And I think that speaks to the kind of like the business like that's the word I keep using the business like approach this team has seemed to have. I think that speaks really well to their potential to be consistent the rest of the season. And if you're consistent the rest of the season, that's always a really key element to, uh, you know, a, a Big Ten championship candidacy. So I just think Purdue's approach to this game, you know, kind of spoke volumes about what these guys were all about. Yeah. Mike, you know, you've seen uh, the formula for success uh, under Matt Painter has been uh, a number of different things this year. Uh, Brain Smith really took a big step forward. Matt Painter said after the game last night, you know, that uh, this he wants him to shoot more, wants him to do more. But it's been Fletcher Lawyer. It's been Brain Smith. These two still the same storyline of really that uh, giving Purdue that high end potential. But how did you look at the last last night's game and uh, and put it into context? Well, just like Brian said, I mean, they just come out and took care of business. I mean, they they you know, they. They did it without Edie getting a, a double double. Yeah. Uh, you know, they did it still with, you know, probably a, a few too many turnovers, but their constants this year have been rebounding, especially on the defensive end. Um, you know, here recently they've hit enough three pointers to keep the floor balanced. And, you know, Braden Smith is doing what Braden Smith does. And, you know, they're still getting solid contributions from. From other players, I, I thought, you know, Brandon Newman did enough last night off the bench to give him a bit of a spark. You know, I thought maybe other bench players would maybe round into form a little bit more uh, because eventually they're going to need some of these pieces off the bench for for whatever reason. Edie foul trouble, Caleb first foul trouble, you know, somebody tweaks an ankle, whatever. They're going to need some of these pieces off the bench to to get to the finish line. Of, of where they want to be. And I, I thought, you know, maybe last night would have been an opportunity for some of those guys to maybe shine a little bit more, but you also get in the game where Minnesota can't score. Yeah. So you just, you go out and win the game and then you try to deal with that another time. Yeah. 
Brian, you know, you look at the, and there's obviously when you hold somebody to 39 points, which is uh, uh, pretty, uh, goes back to World War II, I think, since the last time that happened. But in the Big Ten game, uh, you know, you look at this and say, is that defense, is it attention to detail? I mean, you break this game down as well as anybody, but is it is it that? Is it uh, what has made Purdue just so much better defensively, uh, obviously personnel, but what what is that big sea change from what we saw last year maybe? Is it just to, just the makeup of this basketball team? Well, there's two big things in my opinion. One is Zach Eady. I think he's having an unbelievable year defensively, and I, I don't know if you possibly could have had more of a defensive impact on a game as an individual player than he had yesterday because yeah. he yeah. he won the physical battle with Minnesota and he he dominated the psychological battle with Minnesota. You could see them. You could see like little thought bubbles over their heads. Where's Zach Eady? Where's Zach Eady? Uh, I, I think on the very first possession of the game, they kind of isolated him in a dribble handoff and he he stood it up and he blocked it. And then two possessions later, that same guy got the ball one-on-one or against him around the basket and then just kind of threw the ball in the stands. Um, but I think the other part of it is this team pays attention. This team listens. And I, I there were a couple of occasions yesterday uh, where both Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith made really good rotations to either steal the ball or deflect the ball. One of them resulted in a Minnesota layup. It was just a fluke, but – those guys know what they're doing. They pay attention. They, they carry out details. Um, and I think that sort of attention to detail is a huge difference, obviously, between this year's team and last year's team. Had last year's team had just a little bit of that, you know, all things were possible. And this team has a lot of it. These guys listen. They're, they're really thoughtful. They're really mindful. They think beyond themselves as players. And uh, – I think that that's a big part of the reason they are where they are. I think Ethan Morton's had a, had a really good year defensively. He did a great job on Jamison Battle yesterday. I think Zach Eady is – he won't win Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year because he won't have the counting stats. He won't have maybe the reputation. And he'll probably be Player of the Year anyway at this rate, and he probably wouldn't give both to the same guy. Um, but I think he's as impactful a defender um, just by being out there as probably anybody in the league. Yeah, he uh, was dominant in a number of different ways. All right, Sunday's game, Mike, Maryland. We saw a Maryland team. I know, that again, it's apples and oranges. I get that, but it may be an example. Last year, they came come in and, and a crazy end to that game, as I recall, with a, uh, Matt Payne and Purdue had to sneak out against a team that was in transition. My point is, uh, Purdue still needs to keep its head screwed on, obviously. But uh, what do you see as a landscape, not only starting Sunday, but also down the road for Purdue? Where where are the minefields? Or is it just a, a, a game-by-game uh, tr- uh, challenge for the Boilermakers as they move forward in the schedule? I, I think every game is going to be a minefield just based on the economy. Maryland, for example, they this how many days ago did they get trashed at Michigan and then yeah. come back and beat Michigan? And then Purdue's got Michigan, a team that they've really struggled with in our in Ann Arbor. Uh, then you're coming back with Michigan State at home. That game is still going to be fresh in everybody's mind. Uh, so I think every game is just is it's kind of it, it is a minefield, and you've got to take care of your business there if you want to get to the end. But Purdue's still in a pretty good position because of how they've approached things especially on the defensive end, as Brian talked about, 
I, you know, I think last year he had guys trying to make big plays on defense when they didn't need to, but now everybody seems to be connected and tied together as far as what they're doing defensively. And Ethan Morton is at a, has a really good year defensively. I don't, I don't think you look at the Michigan State game and say that, well, he didn't do his job. I, he ran into a guy that was really good and really hot and was making <laughs> a ton of shots there. But you look at what happened at Penn State or at Philadelphia when he kept Pickett under control in the second half and he's done some other things um, throughout the course of the year where he gives them that ace defender. But it's not only him, but I think everybody seems to be on the same page defensively which makes them a better team than they were last year on the defensive side, but it also gives them an opportunity to, to be in every single game because they're not going to be forced out score people. Yeah. Brian, in the landscape as well for you, you know, you look at uh, Illinois starts to, you know, maybe has addition by subtraction and starts to look like a, a team. And I know Purdue doesn't even play Illinois till what the 5th of March, but uh, what do you see is in terms of, uh, you know, what will be the biggest challenges for this team moving forward? Not only just the opposition, but uh, the rest of the conference schedule. Well, I think that, um, Last night was work reality, or the Minnesota game was work reality. It's not going to be like that again. No, uh, this is still a Purdue team that that needed a game winner um, against Michigan State, a game winner against Ohio State, and overtime to beat Nebraska. This is still a Purdue team that four of their Big Ten games have come down to the final possessions, basically, and uh, that's the nature of the Big Ten. It, it's, I think, every game the rest of the way is probably going to be that way. Um, and it's just a matter of Purdue doing enough right and being solid enough and being good enough in those moments. Um, and everything they've done so far suggests they can be. Even the Rutgers game, they they did a lot of stuff right down the stretch to win that game too. And they just didn't because, because Rutgers made one more play. Um, I think that uh, where I, again, where I think the significance of Minnesota lied was just how Purdue didn't screw around. Purdue didn't say, okay, we can just give 70% tonight and skate by. Uh, you know, Purdue last year might have, would have. And uh, I think that uh, that's what I was getting at before about how that speaks to their ability to be consistent. Yeah. And I think in a league where, you know, outside of Purdue based on Purdue's body of work here. I don't know who else is good. I don't know if the, I don't know if Purdue's greatest adversary uh, in the big 10 race has yet to reveal itself. It, it looked like it was Rutgers there for a while. Rutgers has since lost some games. Now I, I think it bears mentioning that, that they had a game at Ohio state taken away from them by the officiating yeah. in December that would, you know, have them one game back of Purdue and not two games back of Purdue, but um, everybody's beating everybody else. And, you know, if Purdue can just be consistent the rest of the way and everybody else keeps kind of cutting each other up, cutting each other up enough to where it's this big middle in the big 10 of everyone who's like 500 or a game above or a game below, um, you know, Purdue could just kind of, uh, could just kind of play out the string there. And, uh, but they have to be consistent. They have to avoid that. They have to avoid that occasional no show game. Um, uh, but they just have to make everybody they play in the Big Ten earn it. And so far, any I, I should say anybody that beats Purdue the rest of the way, Purdue's going to have to make them earn it. And every indication here so far is Purdue's going to do exactly that. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. All right. The narrative, Mike, that the Big Ten, because it only has, well, I, I guess it technically had two ranked teams this week. Uh, and I know the big, you know, the talk about the Big 12 and, and the SEC, et cetera, but it's not, not a competitive league. We're not seeing that. I mean, we're seeing still these knockdown drag out games between teams that uh, may not be ranked. I mean, how do you, how do you see Purdue's landscape and maybe the effect it could have on Purdue uh, ultimately in, in NCAA seeding time? Well, I mean, the landscape changes every night because, yeah. you know, last night Indiana goes in and throttles a, a, a an Illinois team that had appeared to straighten itself out a little bit, right. but uh, Trace Jackson Davis had a monster performance. Uh, right. So I mean, you could get a team like Indiana that that could get hot, and Purdue's going to see them in a couple weeks uh, down in Bloomington. And you've got you know Rutgers is still a solid team. I mean, uh, the guy that hit the game winning shot against Purdue went what one for thirty last uh, against Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, in that game. So, I mean, he'll get that straightened out. I, it is going to be jumbled, but Purdue has an opportunity to separate itself, uh, continues to have that opportunity. And, you know, as Brian said, as, they, as long as they stay consistent, they're going to be at the top and teams are going to have to come take it from them. Um, but they, they've probably got another loss or two coming up uh, just yeah. based on, you know, the schedule and just who they're playing, when they're playing. Yeah, all, all of those factors certainly will and, play. Uh, just, just can even set about themselves and then, you know, go from there. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, we, no, we, I was just saying, Brian, they're being, they're, Brian's being called. Your attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. It's uh, probably budget rent-a-car looking for me. I, I yeah. didn't know they have two different terminals in Minneapolis. I've known this forever. They just built a new rental car facility but it's in terminal one. I had no idea there was still one in terminal two. Yeah. So all the signs of the rental car return, I figured went to this brand new, nice centralized rental car facility. No, I, I, I returned my rental car to the wrong terminal. So uh, hopefully terminal budget can figure best. that out. Huh? Yeah. Terminal two is the best in Minneapolis. In my... I don't know, man. Terminal one's awful nice these days. <laughs> from, a uh, from a rental car standpoint. Yeah, it is get, it's small, it's manageable. Yeah, uh, Terminal One's really nice. Uh, it, it, it's it, it's big. Uh, if you fly in and out on Delta, um, you're gonna get your steps in going from one gate to the other, unless you take the tram or unless you take the moving sidewalks. But it's very O'Hare-ish in its in its grandeur. But it's uh, it's a nice place. All right. I hope your credit limits well enough to take care of the purchase of that car. If you didn't get it to the right place, you should be, you should be good. So. Well, I'm not buying the car. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much. And uh, we appreciate uh, you, all that you have to say, and uh, we will uh, we'll have more talk. I'm sure next week, uh, heading into the, uh, uh, the weekend after the uh, heading into the weekend after the Michigan game on the road, uh, a lot to talk about in our Saturday simulcast. All right, take care. And we will, uh, have more next week on our Saturday simulcast. Thanks to the Union Club Hotel as well. For the second part of today's Saturday simulcast, I'm joined by Tom Deanhort as we talk about Purdue football, transfer portal, etc. Again, thanks to our sponsor, the Union Club Hotel, on this Saturday simulcast.
Welcome to Golden Black Live, our Friday, January the 20th edition, and uh, joined by Tom Deanhart. I want to thank our sponsors, Triple X, On the Hill, but on the level, approved tradition since 1929, State Farm Agent Trent Johnson at TrentIsMyAgent.com. We also will have guests in segments two, Mike Babinski, Purdue's athletic director, and then also Mike DeCourcy will be talking about uh, last night's game against Minnesota. So we'll look forward to that. But Tom, we'll get started with you. It's obviously been a busy time, even though it's the off season. doesn't seem like there's ever any off season anymore, but uh, Ryan Walters has been busy trying to uh, not only get his staff, which is pretty much assembled now at this point, but transfer portals closed, but still a little bit of recruiting left uh, before National Signing Day on Wednesday, February 1st. So I guess maybe just kind of your overall assessment to uh, where they are with stuff and 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 how um, you think their the progress has been made so far uh, in a little over a month for Coach Ryan Walters. Yeah, the portals closed. They ended up getting four players out of it. Um, <clears throat> they got their quarterback early the day after Christmas, of course. Hudson Card. All four guys are on campus, but Card obviously is your headliner. You got the two kids from Arkansas, the defensive tackle, and you got a safety. And then you got an offensive lineman from Bowling Green. Um, so, yeah, they're all on campus. They're going to take part in spring football. I expect a lot more uh, a lot more activity for Purdue in the portal when the second window opens, May 1st to May 15th, once the staff gets a real look at the, at the team during spring football. Players will have a better sense of how they fit in. And, again, I think you'll see the roster get massaged even to a, a greater extent, I believe, uh, in the spring. So um, still have very much, uh, you know, a story that's unfolding as far as what this team's going to look like. And yeah, there's, there's the one more uh, signing day for high school kids, right? Uh, you've got February 1st is the second signing day and Purdue, many things I'm told they, they, they expect at the very least two more signatures. Uh, the tight end, George Byrne, I think is how you pronounce his last name, an Indiana kid. And the other Indiana kid, Kendra Gilbert, the big four-star defensive tackle. So everybody's saying the right things right now. Looks like those two guys are are, are going to sign. But again, crazy things happen around the signing day. We shall see. But And there's a chance maybe they could add a couple other kids. I know they're still recruiting a handful of guys. Uh, there's a uh, big offensive tackle in Orlando, Florida. They visited. They're supposed to be visiting this weekend. They went out to see a junior college offensive tackle in Kansas although he told me he's not going to sign. If he did pick Purdue, he would not sign yeah. until mid-February, mid maybe early March. And they're also trying to look at a defensive tackle up in Chicago who's going to be a hard guy to get. So they are still kicking the tires on some 2023 kids. But, you know, at the least, I think maybe we'll see uh, the, the two kids from Indiana sign on February 1st. Yeah, that'll be a, a big get if they get that all – all handled and still all a little bit new to Ryan Walters. Like I said, his 37th birthday is tomorrow. Uh, and yet, you know, you look at the 10 guys that he's has on his staff. I think he's, he's about the fourth oldest, but it's still an extremely young staff made age ranges from 26 to 56, but just to, you know, the, maybe the overall tenor and, and the feel that you might, you know, obviously we don't know all of what to expect to, when these guys get here, but it is going to be a youth movement movement in West Lafayette. Yeah, we're seeing this, you know, I, I think we're seeing some of that youth reflected in social media. Yeah. You know, anybody who follows these guys on social media, Twitter, obviously in particular, sees they're very active, which is a, a big change from the previous staff. There are only a handful of guys 
you seem like they're on Twitter much, and the head coach Jeff Brom certainly wasn't. Yeah, uh, he did have an account, but really didn't use it. And again, this is a lot different, right? You got a younger staff beginning with Ryan Walters, and he certainly is on Twitter. We see his tweets. He grew up with this stuff, and I think most of these guys did. There's only uh, four coaches over 40 years old. I know that crazy. Figured out the average age of the 10 assistants is 38.2 years old. So yeah, there's something to be said for for being youthful, right? You're going to be awfully enthusiastic. You're going to be able to maybe connect to the players more, relate to the players more. Um, but there is that, I guess, the factor of experience too, right? So uh, again, it's it's just a big 180 in a lot of in a lot of ways between this staff and the last staff, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the energy of this group work, and in particular, I think to see what kind of players that they can pull in recruiting because again that's where you think they can make real connections with their youth is that ability to maybe hit the recruiting trail and, and up the talent level even more in West Lafayette how about for you just the opportunity I mean Ryan Walters has been hit the ground running I mean he's hardly not been available uh, for a whole lot of conversation yet you're obviously gonna get the chance to talk to him uh with media on, on February 1st <laughs> he varies in his opening press conference very very pointed very uh on on message i think but uh, uh what do you think he's going to develop into as a coach what do you think that personality is really going to be like uh, as it as he you continue to get in front of him every week during uh spring ball but also the start of that uh, uh fall practice once we get to the 2023 season i really have no idea i mean i don't i don't know the guy that well um he's been very engaging and very personal and accessible for me i've appreciated that i've talked to him on the phone and Talk to him in person down in Orlando. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know he's he's uh he's excited. I think he's yeah. I think he's confident too, which helps. And you got to believe in yourself that that's number one. And uh, but again, it's it's just an, an all an all all new territory for a guy who's never been a head coach before, never sat in the biggest chair in the room. And you you're you're now the boss, right? You can't be everybody's friend. You got to be a decision maker and. On and on it goes. There's, there's just a there's a lot to learn. I can only imagine uh, yeah. being a football coach at a Big Ten university. So, uh, you know, I think again, his staff has got to help him out. I think I think while these some of these guys are young, some are young with some good experience. I think Kevin Kane, the defensive coordinator, is a guy with some coaching chops already. He's been a coordinator a couple places. I think he can be a great asset. Let Ryan maybe focus on coaching the team while Kevin Kane runs the defense. And, uh, you know, I think Brick Haley, the, the oldest guy on the yeah. staff, the six-year-old uh, defensive line coach who's been around the block, was at Missouri for a long time and, and coached a lot of good defensive linemen there. So you got you to rely on those people around you. And uh, and uh, we'll see what type of a leader and a coach Ryan Walters is. is. Is he a delegator? Is he a micromanager? I think those are stories that are going to have to be written for us. And I guess we'll find out as we go along here. Yeah, no doubt. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch just because enthusiasm gets you a long way. I can't remember a coach. I know they have one under the age of 30. I think Mike Hankowitz came in way back when at, at age 29 on Jim Young's staff way back in the day. But uh, really going to be interesting. And maybe that is the uh, niche that uh, could separate Purdue a little bit. One question I always had on Transfer Portal, obviously, there are a lot, you know, there's two, two time time frames for it. Do you always think that Purdue will be where it sits in the marketplace? Will always be more more looking at guys in that second wave, or do you? I mean, is that or any rhyme or reason? I mean, obviously Purdue has 
has commitments uh, portal folks coming in now, but do you think it'll always be that case uh, uh, where it'll be after spring ball and that second window where Purdue will do its most of its damage? It seemed that was that way under Jeff Brom as well. I don't know. I, I think it's going to vary from year to year. Um, yeah. I think more players are probably available in that first window than after this in the second window. So I think it'd be a, even maybe a little bit more competitive in the spring if there's fewer players available, more schools still looking for players. So we'll just have to wait and see. I think your team changes from year to year. And uh, that may change your shopping needs and when you want to do your shopping. But without a doubt, right, you're always going to have to be active in the portal in this day and age. And, and you know, and, and just going back to recruiting, too, then this staff um, is sort of pushing Purdue into some areas that haven't been in a long time with some of the right. connections these assistant coaches have. We've seen them in Illinois, obviously, down in Cincinnati, Atlanta, dipping back into Florida too, Wisconsin, Michigan, even out to California. We're seeing him dipping more into Texas, I think, now than, than Jeff Brom ever did. Obviously, Graham Harrell's got connections down there. Ryan Walters does. Mike Matt Maddox, the offensive line coach, came from Texas, San Antonio. And uh, and, and even, even in Missouri a little bit, over to Kansas City with uh, – with uh, Kevin Kane, who grew up over there, Joe Deneen as well. Both those guys were Jayhawks. And I know Kevin grew up over there. And into St. Louis, back into St. Louis with, with, with Corey Patterson in particular, was a high school coach, a very good high school coach in St. Louis. And they really haven't been in St. Louis since the Joe Tiller era. They right. tried. I, I think Braun tried with Chris Barkley, never got any traction. But I think they want to try to to try to come back into St. Louis and maybe, maybe farm some of the talent there. So again, again, Brick Haley can probably help him too. The old Missouri defensive line coach. And also we have a former Boilermaker on the staff. The last hire, Lamar Kennard, a former walk-on defensive back, got to Purdue in 1996 and earned a scholarship. Uh, part of those really fun early Joe Tiller teams. Lamar is back in West Lafayette, came from Miami, Ohio. So I know he's really excited to be back on his, at his alma mater. Yeah, Lamar has uh, had a chance to do an interview with him at Arnie's birthday Zoom not too long ago and uh, uh, when he was at Miami, but uh, he's going to bring some energy, but also brings a guy that uh, really had to dig deep, uh, you know, to, to get an opportunity to play, and he did. I mean, he played a, a great deal, especially on that 97 team, as I recall, yeah. uh, the team that uh, was the big turnaround season for Purdue, winning nine games, and uh, that uh, – uh, where he comes from, and he's one of the elder statesmen, actually, of this group yeah. to some extent. I mean, that, and that's what's Second also the oldest guy, forty-five years old. Even the even the strength coach, Kiro Small from uh, yeah. from Michigan, is a young guy too. So, yeah, the youth just permeates, you know, the entire coaching staff. And uh, boy, uh, maybe maybe somebody to do the research this year would be a big project. But boy, I, I'd be hard pressed to think there's any staff, not just in the Big Ten, but in America, that's going to be any younger than this staff. Yeah, if you said that average age of 38.2, that's uh, uh, we'll have to put our best man on trying to figure that one out. Yeah, places like Dallas, you know, Joe Tiller had a lot of success down in Texas as well. What do you make of that, though? It just, do you, I mean, and you know a lot more about this than I do, but coaches tend to go to places where they're from. I mean, is that, uh, yeah. uh, and there's talent everywhere you turn, but uh, I mean, is that what you see? Is you're, you're you kind of pointed that out that it's yeah. a lot of these guys are going to home base to, to begin their process of not only getting, uh, getting high school talent, but maybe even uh, portal talent down the road. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 you got to know where you have, go where you have, and have connections, right? Go where you know people and, uh, 
And again, that's typically obviously where you're from. And, and, and there's that comfort zone. And those relationships are already established, right? So there's yeah. a level of trust between the assistant coach and the high school coach. So that's that's the beginning to, to start in any type of recruiting relationship with a player. So, yeah, I think um, you're right. Joe Tiller, my goodness, going in Texas was such a big part of making those Purdue teams great, right? Um, I think Montreal Lowe was from down there. Uh, obviously, Drew Brees, Brandon Villarreal. Um, on and on, I'm sure. As I, 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 I sat here and thought for a while, I could make a bunch of more Texas kids. But yeah, I talked about Graham Harrell. He's a Texas kid, and and this tight ends coach too, Seth Daggy, uh, was a quarterback at Texas Tech, like Graham Harrell too, a Texas kid. So, and I talked about uh, uh, Kevin Kane. I mentioned he, he he is from Kansas City, but Kevin Kane was the uh, defensive coordinator at SMU in Dallas. So. You're right. I think um, you go where you know people and, and and going into Texas is never a bad thing. There's a lot of great football players down there. Texas, Texas A&M and Oklahoma can't get all of them. As we've seen, Purdue's been able to pull out some, some really good kids from the Lone Star State over the year. Yeah. All right. One question I wanted to ask is to and. When you and I had a lot more hair, we used to go to Ross Age Stadium as young men and uh, young boys in the city of West Lafayette. Ever thought you'd see a tunnel there? Now they got now they got that yeah. part. Of, we've seen some pictures already of that. Um, it's going to come to fruition. I'm still amazed. We'll have to we'll ask Mike Babinski in the next segment about uh, uh, just how that progress is being made. But uh, I don't think I've asked you really what you make of that uh, the, the tunnel idea and, may, and maybe bringing a little bit more personality to Ross H yeah. Stadium. It, it seems to me it might have the ability to do that. Yeah, exciting. I think it's going to be a great addition for the players, really. It's yeah. for, the, for the players. I know there's a safety element to this too, but uh, it's going to be really cool. Anybody who's familiar with the tunnel walk at Nebraska, what they do at Wisconsin and their tunnel, I mean, the, the big parade, the walk up down the tunnel from the locker room to the stadium, it's really cool. Sometimes you have TV cameras following them. You can see the walls and the buildup and then the blowing out that in that tunnel. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, I think it's going to be great. So, um, again, like I said, safety was was a major reason or probably was the reason for doing this. But not only will it be a safer way for the players to get to and from the facility to the stadium, but again, like I said, it's going to be cool for them from an experience standpoint uh, to have that tunnel, too. And then I, I saw some pictures of the south end zone. All, it's all gone. Yeah. Uh, it, looks, it looks crazy. And uh, yeah, I'm yeah. really eager to see that start to take shape here over the next few months and uh see what that looks like too we've all seen the, the renderings but boy to really see things come to life and come to shape and before your very eyes it's, it's always exciting so yeah it's it's always great when you're investing in your facilities and should make for a better game day experience for uh for all the fans too right and too i remember the students are going to be moved down there right. i think the band's going to be down there you know it's supposed to look like a cow catcher at one point so yeah, it's just going to be neat to see uh, see what it looks like come come September. Yeah, I think it's just a good time to have it done. I mean, you have a new coaching staff come in; it's a whole new yeah. deal. Uh, yes, the college sports landscape is all different to, as well. But uh, yeah, there's bleachers sitting out there. I know Chris Collar from uh, Don Collar's son works at WLFI was talking to me yesterday about the hey, let's go get to 
let's go get to see, can, can we get some bleachers? <laughs> because they were putting them out over the side. I don't know if that's available, but I can't imagine Purdue might not be uh, selling those over time. They should, yeah, they should. Uh, but, I think, but, I think, I think Bruno's got some in his waiting room, at least one. Bit. Oh yeah. Yeah, he does. And uh, I think that that, uh, and you know, our, our friends at the triple X would like a piece of that on the yeah. side of their side of their uh uh, restaurant as well. So always good conversation, Mr. Dean Hart. We look forward to a lot more coverage. I know you got to check it out because he also writes about the three, two, one, what's the most important position that uh, Purdue's looking for to really bolster up. I won't, uh, I won't, uh, uh, divulge yet. You'll have to go. To yeah. The I've got, I've got, a, I've got a cool story with Kevin Kane coming up here. Kind of want to get through the weekend with all the basketball going on, but he really, he really kind of broke down what they want to do defensively for me. And uh, I've got a couple other things with Graham Harrell. I had the Graham Harrell story um, this earlier this week. And then I got a couple other things I want to post from that conversation. And uh, I got some analysis, too, now that the portal closed January 18th. A real closer look at the three late signees. Uh, yeah. I really broke down Hudson Card pretty extensively when he signed on this, after he signed December 26th. So those are some things sort of in the hopper here. And moving forward and um yeah Alan, i mean before we know it it'll be spring break and they'll be getting out the pass for spring football here yeah no no date set though right they haven't really said no, but I, I think i've been i feel pretty good that i've been kind of told that last the week after spring break yeah and on april 22nd spring game and you know it, it could be in Indianapolis, Alan. I've been told yeah. now it could be Indianapolis, University of Indianapolis, maybe that they're kicking the tires on several places. But I did hear you, Indy. Um, so, yeah, maybe Carmel High School. So I know I know Lafayette Jeff was mentioned. But again, this thing could could go on the road like we saw what 20 some some odd years ago. Yeah, field turf. I know you, Indy, field turf at Lafayette Jeff. I don't know yeah. about Carmel, maybe the same. Uh, but all good places and strategic to some extent for Purdue fans uh, to have yeah. it in those. All right, uh, Tom, thanks again. Uh, we appreciate that. Appreciate we look forward to next week's Saturday simulcast as we put an end to this one. Thanks so much to the Union Club Hotel, to Brian Newbert, Mike Carmen, and Tom Deanhart. Have a great rest of your weekend, everybody.